Uh, good morning, church. Um, we are so glad that you could uh, join us again on this. Uh, what uh, You guys will be receiving this on Wednesday. And um, we uh, have been doing these roundtable discussions as a sort of um, add-on to our sermon series on napkin theology, where we kind of dive a little bit deeper into these theological topics. And so today we have joining us for the discussion, Professor Michael DeFazio from Ozark Christian College. Michael teaches... Um, New Testament mainly um, and some other stuff, but he uh, is uh, an incredibly intelligent, um, well-spoken and uh, kind man and kind enough to join us today. So, um, Michael, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, um, Michael, um, as we're getting started, just as a kind of get to know you, I guess, um, you guys have been uh, having to change stuff up a little bit, uh, especially at the college, and uh, we've we've heard a little bit about that. Um, But I guess for you personally, and maybe like for your family and stuff, how has this like time changed your walk or your, um, I, I guess, spiritual life? How has this challenged sure. you? How has this grown you? Stuff like that. Um, you know, I think uh, I think it was, it's a great question. It's a big question, um, and it's hard to, in some ways, talk about the experience because so many people's experience of it is different. Like there's such a wide variety of, of how the coronavirus has hit people. And, and because on the scale of difficulty, you know, we would be on the lower end of that. You know, it's obviously been inconvenient. There's been some challenges, but man, we have friends and family who have, um, whether because folks have gotten sick in some cases died or just because it's had, you know, financial hit business, hit, all that kind of stuff. Hit. So many people around us so hard. So, um, you know, I'm always a little bit hesitant even to say some of the positive things that have come out of it because I don't want to minimize the negative mm-hmm. experience of others. But I think in terms of the specific question that you are asking me, the main thing I believe is that it has forced me to take seriously when James says that we shouldn't say, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that and then I'm going to do this other thing. <laughs> but instead, really, it's always, well, if the Lord wills. And so I think it's put a bit of a, um, I don't know, like a humbling device on all planning. And for me, that's resulted in a renewed focus on what it means to live with God is to surrender to his will in this particular moment. And that doesn't mean that we don't think about the future. I mean, the moment only makes sense in light of eternity, you know, but there's really a focus thing that's happened for me, I think. Uh, life comes at me one moment at a time. And in this moment, I need to think about what is the best thing for me to do. I need to discern what God would have me do in order to most glorify him and serve his people and, you know, and, and be a person who is allowing Jesus's life to take shape in me. So that's, I think, the main thing in terms of my walk with the Lord is that it has led to a renewed focus on doing God's will right now. Um, and then, you know, after this is over, doing God's will in that next moment yeah. and, and so on and so forth. Even when those moments involve a little bit of planning for the, for the immediate and potentially distant future. I'm just focusing on one step at a time. Yeah, that's great. And so I asked that question, I guess, um, in the lens of we were talking this last weekend about uh, sanctification in the mm-hmm. sermon, and uh, Jerry yeah. delivered an uh, excellent sermon, and we are extremely appreciative for, of it. Um, but in the, in the midst of that, um, one of the things that I got to thinking about was uh, this is a season where you can be sanctified or you can, you know, I guess spiritually veg out or not and not, you know, and you know, I was kind of challenged by that idea as I was listening to Jared uh, preach in the five times I listened to it as I was editing the video. (laughs) And, um, 
And, uh, and so in, in the vein of that, I think it's, it's a pertinent conversation to have yeah. uh, as, yeah. we're, as we're, as we're uh, in the midst of a uh, global pandemic. And yeah. so, um, Jared, do you want to kick us off on like, what we're going to be talking about yeah, today? Yeah, well, uh, of course, we're talking about this uh, you know, concept of sanctification, which I think naturally is a question that flows out of you know, the previous mm-hmm. uh, week's topic of salvation. Right. So if we are saved um, by grace, if God saves us, um, now what? Uh, you know, what is, are, are we just kind of sitting around here waiting for you know, eternity to come or, uh, you know, what happens kind of um, between justification and glorification, you know, what's the, what's the, you know, what's in the here and now. And so, um, and so that's kind of, we talked about this concept of sanctification, about how God is sanctifying us. Um, right here in the in the here now, but um, I I would ask this question. We kind of talked about this a little bit on on Sunday, but of course in a sermon format. There's only so much that you can, you know, there's only so much you can do. You kind of have some different limitations. So, sure. um, I would uh, I would ask the question: What are we even talking about when we uh, use the word sanctification? Because that's not, uh, you know, that's not really a word that comes up in conversation, uh, you know, in normal day to day stuff. Right. You know, uh, that's that's yeah. really one of those uh, kind of extra churchy words, and so for uh, especially for people who maybe aren't familiar with the term or, uh, or you know, that's not part of their normal day-to-day vocabulary. What do we even mean when we're saying sanctification? Like, what's the biblical concept of that? What are we even talking about when we say sanctification? So I don't know if, Michael, if you want to kind of kick us off with some, some of your initial thoughts, or, yeah. uh, uh, but what does that word mean? Yeah, I'd be happy to jump in. And a couple of things before even answering that question. One, I'm really impressed with y'all's video, video editing uh, capacity. Like, I'm sure you're actually six feet apart and, you know, responsibly social distancing. We but are. We've got like some right camera angle lens. Yeah. yeah. We even took yeah. each other's temperature earlier. No. <laughs> I bet you did. Well, and then also um, the sermon, man, obviously I didn't hear the sermon, but or, no, obviously I haven't heard the sermon, but the outline is really rich. And I got to say, you know, as a one shot sermon, I think some of the points that you're hitting are so were so important to hit that it's really not about self-improvement. It's about allowing Christ's life to take over. Um, take over me and my identity and behavior is now mapped onto who he is. I think that's a necessary background for any sort of sanctification that's going to avoid becoming legalism. But as far as your question itself, what is sanctification? I think, you know, there's almost like a general and a specific maybe that I would want to say. And then generally speaking, it's one of the ways, one of the really important ways that the Bible talks about the process of becoming the persons God made us to be. The process of becoming um, formed uh, morally formed in character, character formation, so that I increasingly, um, you know, take on the likeness of Jesus. And I really think that that's really another key concept. If you combine the idea of being sanctified with being conformed to the image of Christ, that's the biblical idea coming out of Romans 8 and Colossians 3 that you guys have hit on. So generally speaking, sanctification refers to the process of becoming more like Jesus uh, and, and truly and genuinely. Not, you know, I, I am become a person who my natural response to things is is what Jesus's natural response to that same situation would be if he were me. Uh, you know, it's funny, you guys, uh, you know, you've seen this, and, and we've seen this in ourselves and, and, and our kiddos, and sometimes, you know, when you get onto a child, you know, don't do this. Well, I didn't even mean to. Well, that's because it came natural to you, you know, yeah, because yeah. that's what's in your heart. And I think the goal is to be transformed so that uh, we almost do good. We are thankful and patient and and endure, and we endure tough situations and all those things. We do what Christ did almost naturally. I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, but that's because that's some who you are. So mm-hmm. it is a term for the transformation of our character. More specifically, though, you know, it's, like I said, one of the ways the Bible talks about that. So I think there's value in asking what specifically is intended by this particular term. And I think I'd probably say a few things in that. One thing would be, um, you know, the word sanctify, meaning, you know, made holy or made more holy, 
comes from the Old Testament context of the temple and the priesthood and mm. the holy things of God are right. the things that are appropriate for his presence and, and for his service, fit for his presence and service. And so with sanctification specifically, what that word reminds us is that to become a better person, it's not just about being good for goodness, goodness sake. It's about becoming fit for God's presence mm. and the kind mm. of being, the kind of person who belongs in closeness to him and who makes sense as, as serving him and as being used for his mission moving forward. Within that, you know, you have this consistent idea that to be holy means to be different or set apart for the presence and service of God. And so in our case, that means that, you know, as we become more fit for God's presence, we're going to be weird. We're going to be odd. We're going to be strange. We're not going to do things like the world does things. Uh, we're not going to agree with what the world thinks is true. And we're not going to, you know, two thumbs up to what the world says to do. It's just, we're going to be increasingly odd, I think. And that's something that's very important for us to get our heads around, prepare ourselves, prepare our children and future generations for what's coming. And then the last specific thing on on sanctification is that it is it is it is I think a unique concept in that it includes the idea of identity or who or what I am mm. as one who belongs to God, and then also the idea of formation. I am becoming more holy. I'm becoming more of a godly person. And you know, you may have used some of these terms. Uh, there's been a lot of different ways of talking about this historically. So you have like initial or positional sanctification. Mm -hmm. Once you put your faith in Jesus, you belong to God now. Right. And it's not about how good you are. It's about you belonging to him. But then ongoing or progressive sanctification is, I think, where we're placing the emphasis. It sounds like where the sermon placed the emphasis. Now that you belong to him, you start to live like that. And now that you're part of his family, live like one of his children. Now that you're one of his friends, live like one of his friends. And so it involves both who I am in Christ as one who God has grabbed hold of and made his own, and who I am becoming uh, through the power of the Spirit, so that I look like Christ. So, yeah, those are, uh, again, the general piece, becoming like Jesus, and then more specifically, becoming holier, fit for his presence, uh, different, set apart uh, from other things, and that includes both who I am and what I do. Yeah, no, that's really good. I, you know, in the past couple of weeks, uh, one of the comments that's coming up uh, a few times, Ben, you've uh, kind of talked about this, uh, is how, you know, when we sin, we're not actually, um, uh, you know, use the phrase, the you know, to uh, to sin as human. Well, no, it's really not. Um, you know, yeah, when we're well, sinning, we're, we're acting outside of what our human nature is, who we're created to be. And so in sanctification, um, and this is a little bit uh, to your point, Michael, which you were saying, but um, in the process of sanctification, sanctification, we're um, kind of becoming who we are. God calls us to um, uh, to become who you already are, in essence, and in becoming more like Jesus in um, the image of Christ, which we are created to be. So anyway, I appreciate you bringing yeah. that up. Uh, ben, would you yeah. add anything to that? or, or would I, you? I think one of my favorite places in the Bible uh, that I think defines this is uh, in First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 3 and onward. And it yeah. says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in, and, then he, and, he, and he goes on um, and says some similar stuff, but this idea of, and I think beyond the body, um, controlling your mind and controlling, uh, that God um, begins to work in you in such a way that you learn to have, <laughs> I think self-control is called the fruit of the Spirit. The, mm -hmm. This idea that you're, you're, you're putting yourself in check. You're able to um, say no to the things that you weren't able to say no to before and start to live 
like Jesus. You yeah, know? yeah. Mm-hmm. I like how the biblical concept that always, uh, you know, it, it starts with the transformation of our mind. You know, uh, you know, over and over, Paul talks about. You see in uh, uh, Romans chapter twelve, you know, when we're tr- uh, transformed, mm-hmm. you know, to not follow the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Or in Ephesians chapter four, it says that we're to be made new in the attitudes of our minds. And as we do that, as we retrain our minds and allow the Spirit of God to retrain our minds and our hearts, and you know those things working together through that we come we become uh, conformed and transformed into the image of christ and i think that's our heart in doing the sermon series and in this in these roundtable discussions is that if we start to think about such things in right ways then um, we'll start to notice patterns in our lives or start to notice things that we do and start to live in 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 different ways yeah yeah and uh and so i think that's important i think the other thing worth mentioning um if you'll allow me is uh just a quick i guess uh, unpacking of the word sanctification so uh, the beginning of it is sancta and and that comes from the latin i guess just holy Mm -hmm. um and so it's holyfied you're you're being made holy like you're whole you're being your holification and so um and so i think that you know if, if you're still tuned in and you still don't quite understand the the churchy word sanctification just know it's being holified it's being made made holy you should get a copyright on that word i think i don't know, I don't it's, know i'm not the first one to use it <laughs> all right well that's good <laughs> well i guess that that brings up another question then um you know because when we've talked about sanctification and talking about um salvation uh <clears throat> there is this natural i think tension i believe um uh, you know you you alluded to this a little bit michael i think when you talked about um you know how do we do this without uh, uh, becoming legalistic um there is this natural tension between um i think god's work in sanctification uh, both salvation and sanctification um and our efforts uh you know we talk with salvation on how um, god does the work and we simply respond to him but then now when it comes to sanctification um what does that look like how does uh, how does sanctification work um maybe maybe specifically um what are the relationship between our efforts in sanctification versus God's grace in sanctification, um, and then how does that work? Um, what does that What does that mean for us? How do we respond in that way? So I don't know if e- either one of you guys have any thoughts. You want to kind of start us off there, or, um, but Michael, you want sure. to take you want to take us off on that? Sure, I can jump in. Yeah, I think um, I think it's actually a critically important question to answer um, because if you don't, there's two. It's like most, like many topics. When it comes to life with God, it's almost the balance beam is the right metaphor. You fall off one side, you emphasize um, the wrong kind of effort, you become legalist. You fall off the other side, you emphasize uh, grace as opposed to effort, then you become mm. um, essentially, you know, you, you take grace as a license for sin. Right. I think two initial things come to mind as soon as I hear this. One is from Dallas Willard, one's from the Apostle Paul. There's a line from Dallas Willard that has always stuck with me, and it's that grace is opposed to earning, not effort. And um, thankfully, I, I read that early on. I mean, I think, Jared, back when we were in college, uh, when mm. I first read Divine Conspiracy, and I don't remember mm. if th- that line is in that book or it's in some of the others, but I ate up his writings back then, and that really shaped my understanding of this, that grace is opposed to earning, not effort. So, um, it, no, you know, grace and effort are not naturally in conflict with one another. Mm. Uh, grace actually enables effort, and not just at one point. It's not just like you know, God let us in by grace, and then we engage in effort. Mm. No, it's not like that. It's more like the way in which, you know, a table holds up a cup of coffee. Like you guys have cups of coffee or cups of water on the table, and the table is holding those up nonstop. So the, the cups of coffee are able to be three foot off the ground because of the table, you know? And so in that sense, um, it's a little bit different, obviously, because we're more than just a cup of coffee, and God's more than a table. But that same idea that His grace is the foundation of our ability to do anything. 
we were incapable of doing good for his sake in, in the way, in, in proper ways without him graciously saving us and rescuing us and changing our hearts. And it's not just that he does that and then says, go for it. It's that he says, I am now with you. All right. So there's like a presence that is with us and a power that's involved in that presence that then empowers us to go up, to go forward and exert effort, as you guys said, mentally and bodily to be sanctified. And the verse that um, frames that for me is Titus chapter two, where Paul says, for it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. So it's his grace that actually trains or instructs us in that. And uh, again, I've always loved this, this passage of Scripture because it pulls together what we often separate, the idea of grace and the idea of effort. And I really think that um, the best way to think about this is to think about it relationally and concretely. So in any given situation where I have an option of, you know, uh, maybe I, I have a sense from the Lord that I need to, uh, you know, help somebody who's in need, I have a decision of whether or not I'm going to do that. And in that moment, like, is God's willingness to allow me into his eternal kingdom um, based on whether or not I do that? No. His willingness to invite me into his eternal kingdom is based on the sacrifice of Jesus on my behalf. But that willingness creates a relationship with him where now I am compelled to do that, not to earn anything. I've already received the invitation. I've already received the acceptance. But I'm compelled to exert effort. In that same thing's true whenever we're resisting a temptation, like uh, you know, um, Ben, you brought up First Thessalonians four. I love that passage, and you know, if I, if I remember right, the language that it, you know that he uses there is everybody should control their own vessel. It's not a joke, but it is a euphemism, you know, in the context yeah. of sexual immorality. He's yeah. saying, "Y'all control your stuff," you know. And I think his point is, in this concrete moment of you're tempted to do something with with your body that is ungodly, uh, if you do that, is God still going to love you? That's not the question. He's demonstrated his love and favor to you in spite of your sin. Um, but it, there is a sense in which he is present, compelling you and pu- propelling you to engage in the effort necessary to take the holy step. Um, last thing I'll say is I do think that grace critically protects maybe our understanding of effort, because if we don't lead with grace, I'm glad you guys preached on salvation first. If you don't lead with grace, then I think it's virtually impossible for our effort to be anything other than an attempt to justify mm-hmm. ourselves. So it really is, it's like, and I keep coming back to kids, it's like parenting. Parenting is not like 50% love, 50% discipline. It's 100% love and 100% discipline. Right. Like you're always loving and therefore you're always training. And the same thing is true with, I think, with God, It's you know, in sanctification. It's 100% grace and 100% effort. Um, with, of course, emphasis on grace as that which uh, creates the possibility of effort and sustains it even as we engage in it. So those are some of my initial thoughts on that yeah. on that question of grace and effort. Great question. I think that's a great point that you just made. I actually was listening to something uh, fairly recently, not too long ago, and it was some Tim Keller was kind of talking about uh, grace and sanctification and uh, kind of how all this stuff works. And he brought up, um, you know, we sing it in the song, you know, "Oh to grace, how great a debtor um, daily I'm constrained to be." But I mm-hmm. talk about this idea of um, you know our our own efforts. So really, what's behind all that? Our own efforts are not separate from grace even um, yeah. our our ability our power to walk in sanctification to walk in the spirit is a grace driven thing like you talked about this coffee yeah. is only holding or this cup is only holding the coffee because the table's holding the cup and so yeah. Yeah. even as we uh, even as we take steps um, to walk in greater levels of sanctification and greater uh, you know greater levels of glory as uh, you know second Corinthians 3 talks about you know uh, from one level of glory to another even as we do that 
that, we're only able to do that by the grace of God itself. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, not only are we um, not only are we in debt to grace because of God's initial grace to us, but even our ability to walk in newness of life comes from the very grace of God. And so, um, so I love well, and that. even Romans five says. You know that that um, you know by grace you into this grace in which you now stand by mm. faith you've entered into this grace in which you now live, and that's I think exactly what you're talking about. And you know to quote Willard again, I love when he says that people who are becoming holier actually require more grace because mm. grace isn't just a get out of jail free card. It is the powerful presence of God with you even when you don't deserve it. And the more effort the, you know the more the holier we become the more of him is involved in our lives. And so there's an increase of grace that corresponds to the increase in our effort to pursue these things. Yeah, that's great. Ben, would you add anything to that? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's a fair question only because the Bible seems to have this tension. You know, 2 Timothy 2.21, or for, yeah, 2 Timothy 2.21 says to cleanse yourselves. And then, you know, I, and I read a passage out of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 simply says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. And so there is this tension. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think the tension is broken, or I think the tension is explained only insofar as God offers himself as this, as this um, I don't want to say tool, but I mean, maybe it's, it's a, probably a terrible word, but he offers himself as this um, means by which we could be sanctified, but he won't force you to take it. Mm. That actually, <clears throat> that your sanctification is dependent upon you making daily decisions, small decisions every day, whether it's to read your Bible, whether it's to pray, whether it's to have a spiritual conversation with someone else, whether it's just to, to choose to not partake in a spe- specific sin, whatever it is, these all these little decisions add up to your total sanctification. Yeah, yeah. And God won't force you to do it, and so that's why there is that tension. Is right. you got to make the decision to do what God wants you to do, but God will work in the midst of that to make you into someone who continues to do what he wants you yeah. to do. Yeah, oftentimes in the Bible, you know, we, in our, I think in our Western mindset, we like, you know, logic and when things are clean cut and, you know, whatever, yeah. uh, which is why sometimes, uh, you know, parables can sort of be confusing or difficult for us, or, or when you have these, um, you know, statements like, uh, you know, these paradoxical things or, you know, things in tension where it's like, if you want to, you know, if you want to live, you've got to die. If you want to fir- be first, yeah. you've got to be last, you know, and so we hold these things up in tension, but oftentimes that's, um, we see that through throughout scripture, and I think this is one of those issues where, um, there is this, there is this tension, and so it's difficult for us, uh, for our, for our minds to kind of grasp. I, I, I think of the passage in uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 and 13, where, where he's saying, you know, uh, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Um, so, okay, mm-hmm. that's my job. And then he says, uh, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So, you know, there's this, there's this tension held up, but I think, it, um, you know, most importantly, we realize um, we have effort. We, uh, we come to God and we are sanctified through our efforts, but it's only through the grace of God that we receive uh, that grace and even have the power to walk into that. So, uh, yeah, and I think, and this is a bit anecdotal, but, um, you know, I think hopefully if you're watching this or consuming this, this content, that you know someone who, before they were a Christian, they had something that they genuinely struggled with and hated that they continued, whether it's an addiction or whatever, who, after they became a Christian, they then found the power to overcome it. And it's not like they, before that, you know, I used to, I, I worked part-time when I was in college in a community that had a lot of um, a, a lot of drug problems, and there was a couple of people who came to our church who, I mean, they would continuously say, before Jesus, I couldn't, I couldn't kick this habit, and now I can. And so there is this this idea of, like it does take God's power to get better. Yeah. That that and and there will be people that tell you. And if you don't know people like that, then um, maybe it's time to work on your own sanctification and and start working uh, with with people who who you know need Jesus. Yeah, yeah.
Um, well, if I could if I could shift uh, gears a little bit, because there's the, this is a question that I think um, uh, I struggled with for a long time. I, I don't know, you know, if I in my head struggled with it as much as maybe in my heart, but I think this is a question for <clears throat> a lot of people, particularly maybe uh, newer believers, uh, newer Christians. Um, is when we look at this idea of sanctification, um, why uh, why do we need sanctification? Because here's here's another one of the the tensions, I guess, or the the paradoxes, or whatever. Um, we will never be perfect in this life. Now, uh, <clears throat> you know, no matter how no matter how hard we we try, no matter how much we work on our sanctification, we're never going to be made perfect, uh, completely perfect in this life. Now, and yet, when Jesus comes back, we're all going to be made perfect. And so, yeah. uh, why do we even uh, why do we even work on sanctification uh, now if we're never going to achieve it? Um, but when Jesus comes back, He's going to achieve it perfectly for all of us. Why do we even need to work on this now? I think of a uh, Michael. You might know uh, who I'm talking about because it was, I think, popular in the in the dorms while we were in college. But it reminds me of a comedian who did this whole bit about uh, playing uh, playing baseball, and at the end of the game, uh, everybody gets a snow cone, and it doesn't yeah. matter. You play the whole game, you get a whole snow cone. But if you play half game or you don't play, you still get the whole snow cone. So uh, why do we yeah. even try? You know, why do yeah. we give our why do we give our best efforts? Um, so so I guess that's that's the maybe the question. And that's a horrible analogy, uh, maybe. But um, but so that's the question is, why do we even need to worry about sanctification now? Why if we're never going to achieve it? Um, why do we even begin? Why do we even um, start down that journey? So but Michael, I don't know if you have any thoughts for us, but um, how'd you sure. respond to that? Yeah, I'd I, I love the question because people ask it, you know what I mean? Even if it's um, in the end, we would all say it's, there's there's problems with the question. I'm glad we're talking about it because it's a very natural response. And in some ways, it, it demonstrates that, you know, a person has an understanding that eternity matters deeply. I think, you know, we're in a time where it's becoming popular to say, you know, you know this life matters more than eternity, even among Christians. And it's like, no, that that's, that's, uh, doesn't make any sense. And it's not what, the, not what the scriptures teach. So I like the, the question. On the other hand, I want to poke at it a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. you use an analogy, I'll use another one. It's sort of like, you know, if an engaged couple, you know, if, if a you know young man and a young woman get engaged and, and the guy's like, well, why do I need to like hang out with her and start acting more married now? Like we're not married yet, you know? What? This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like you're, you're looking forward to this new life together, but there's a sense in which the time in between now and then is actually preparation and, and some level training for that time period. And I do think that there's an old, you know, historic, you know, historically, I, I don't know how universally this has been regarded, but I think through the centuries, Christians have thought about this life as a training ground for eternity. And so there's a sense in which part of why, why God leaves us here is to, and first of all, you know, preach the gospel, no question, you know, evangelize. That's the one thing we can do now that we won't be doing forever. Um, but also to begin to learn how to do life with God, begin to learn how to have real faith and, and how to love him, even though we can't see him. And, and so there's some general ways of getting at it that I think um, may matter in that regard. But let me, let me con- kind of concretely say uh, there are there are three pieces that I think probably if I were trying to say real, one two three I would say for one we don't really know what the the first one would be eternal reward and we don't really know how to uh, explain the details of uh, you know whether there will be some sharpening process when we see him uh, you know that will be differentiated mm-hmm. among different folks based on their their sanctification or even um, how to make sense of the language of, of different levels of reward or different degrees of reward. But that does seem to be a thing. Uh, you know, and it might be that, uh, I don't know, I've always, I've heard this, this is another goofy analogy, but I don't know, when I get to heaven, like, I don't want to have the spiritual capacity to have a burger. I want to have the spiritual capacity to have a really big steak. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? 
And there's a sense in which I think our capacity to experience more of God will grow. I actually think it will grow forever and ever and ever. Mm -hmm. So like all the sin will be totally rooted out, but I don't think we're done, you know, in a sense, getting to know him at deeper and deeper levels. And um, that can be difficult to talk about, but I do think there's a sense in which everybody is going to be as joyful, as full and as joyful as they can possibly be when they see Jesus face to face. I just wonder if I could be, experience even more joy in that moment if mm-hmm. I pursue greater levels of sanctification here and now That's good. than I would be otherwise. So there's a reward piece. Um, the other two pieces, I think, are a little bit a little bit um, easier to talk about because <clears throat> they're not as mysterious. One is, God is more glorified in me through my sanctification, mm-hmm. and I want to glorify Him. He saved me. I love Him, and I want Him to get all the glory He can from my life, and I believe that He's more honored by my holiness <coughs> than by my lack of holiness. And then I also think there's an increase of joy that I'm going to experience more benefit here and now, even in the midst of my suffering, as I pursue sanctification. It comes back to some of what we were talking about just a minute ago, too. You know, grace, uh, one of the things that's interesting about grace is that the language of grace and gift in the ancient world is kind of the same language. And I think that there's a really appropriate analogy there, even connecting this question to the last one. You know, if I hand you a gift, if you were like, well, so hold on, like, do I have to open it in order to, like, in order for, like, do I have to, uh, and it just be, would be a weird thing, you know, because what do you mean do you have to open it? Like, open the gift. You can't enjoy it unless you open it. I have given it to you. You're not, I don't want to open it because then maybe I'm like earning, earning this. No, mm-hmm. I gave you a gift. Just open the thing and enjoy it. And so I think it, it speaks to the effort question. And I also think it speaks to this question is uh, we've been given the, the gift of ongoing sanctification here and now. And it will increase our joy and the joy of those around us. I got three people in my home and three animals, all of whom benefit by my progressive sanctification. Um, their lives are more are more enjoyable when I'm more patient and gentle and Christ-like. So um, the reward, I think, there is a differentiation. I want, I want God to be maximally glorified in my life, and I want the increase of my joy and the joy of those around me. Those would be the three reasons why to pursue it here and now. Very good. Oh, I like that. I, I also, just for clarification, when you say you have three people and three animals, that's two different statements, right? <laughs> it is indeed. Just yes, ma- is. I've got kids, and so I know how that goes. I just, I just out of, out of curiosity. <laughs> we're been, literally, right now, we're trying to, po- I'm not even kidding, we're tr- well, my wife is running point on it. We're trying to potty train our cat, trying to get our cat to do his business in the toilet. So what? if it works, it's going to be awesome, but it is maddening in the process. Yeah. Wow. I, it's the uh, thing, man. That's the most bougie thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, great. <laughs> no, well, I appreciate that. Ben, ben what would you add to that? Uh, yeah. Is there anything you want to throw in? Um, well, okay. At the risk of sounding harsher than you just sounded, Michael, um, uh, you, you mentioned earlier— You're you know, young, so you can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. I, you know, I, there's other job prospects out there when I get fired for <laughs> yelling at people. Um, the, this, is on, this is on camera. This is recorded. So Yeah, just, we, yeah. we talked about yeah, it last week. I'm on, you know, they're coming after me. Um, <laughs> no, um— you mentioned earlier, and I think you're right, that there is this tendency right now to downplay eternity for, for right now. Mm-hmm. That, like, okay, well, you're so heavenly minded, you shouldn't be, you're yeah. not doing any, you know, uh, earthly good. Um, but I think it's still true <clears throat> that, I think the statement is still true. God is less concerned with getting you out of this world and into heaven than he is with getting heaven into you. 
Um, because I think, I mean, and, and this kind of goes beyond the scope of this conversation, but I think God's primary uh, primary goal is to restore creation to what it was, and to you know, heaven meets earth, and you know, in the end of the in the end of the Bible. And so he's looking at getting heaven into you. So God is actively trying to set the world right. You know, Colossians mm-hmm. one twenty that He is reconciling the world uh, through Jesus, and He's fixing things. So, so here's the truth: by not being sanctified by not choosing to enter into the sanctification process by whatever tools that God has given us to do so, you're actively working against God's purposes for you and for this world. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and, I, and, and, and that's tough to say, but I think it's true. And, and, and I think God is worth more than that. And so that, that would be my thing is like yeah. that. Why, why to be sanctified now? Because God deeply desires to set this world right and to set you right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Why not give in to him? He's he's too good and too precious for that. Yeah. I would, uh, <clears throat> if it makes you feel any better, Ben. Um, I'll be a little bit harsher, um, perhaps oh, than 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 you. Save uh, for another week. <laughs> You're good, um, uh, and not not harsh, I think, but just to um, uh, you know, when we talk about this question, uh, if we're never going to be perfect in this life, then then why even try now um, and kind of have this defeatist attitude towards it? Um, I think one of the things that we have to keep in mind, um, uh, I think the, uh, and this is something that I struggled with, and I think it made a lot more sense to me um, uh, when I when I recognized this uh, concept, is I think when we do that, um, the attitude behind the question, um, I think it fails to really recognize the gravity and the seriousness of sin. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so when we're looking at, uh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, imagine, okay, we're, we've got kids. Um, you know, if you're, to tell, uh, if you're to tell your kid, you know, oh, don't eat all this junk food um, because it's bad for you, we could give them different reasons. Um, you know, oftentimes the answer is given, don't eat all this junk food now because, you know, later on down the road it's going to spoil your dinner. Um, don't eat all this junk food now because, you know, tonight you're not going to be able to sleep very well or, or whatever. And we forget um, that it's not just because, oh, you know, they're going to have a hard time eating dinner or whatever. Don't eat this junk food now because it's bad for you now. Uh, you know, ingesting yeah. all this stuff. It's not just a, it's not just a later on thing. Um, but you know, we don't, um, you know, our sin is not just a, uh, this is bad because it reaps some eschatological, you know, huge consequence and our salvation is only, um, because or our salvation is only an end times thing, um, or something down the road. And I think that's a really, really light view of sin, and we have to remember, um, sin isn't just something that reaps us a bad consequence later on. Sin is something that is bad for us in the here and now. Um, and so, uh, you know, when we're living this way, that has horrible consequ- horrible consequences and effects on me, that has horrible consequences and effects on the, the four people and one animal that live in my house, that has, uh, you know, horrible consequences for the church uh, that you know in which we minister and so um, to have the mindset of oh well I'll just wait and God will fix all that at the end kind of has this well I just really want to be released from the the guilt or the punishment of sin um, and not be released from its power and its effect on me in the here and now and so uh, you know our sanct- our sanctification is not just a well it gets us closer to the end that's coming it's a this is making us who we're actually called to be you know if your car is broken you don't just say well I'll just wait till I get a new car no you, yeah. you fix the car you want it to work right you know and so 
I think uh, I think uh, that's important for us to remember is that uh, you know sin is bad for us and God wants what is good for us and so when we enter in by his grace and by the power of the spirit mm-hmm. when we enter in the sanctification process we're doing what's actually good and right and healthy for us in the here and now yeah, so it's good. anyway my, I think it's important for us to remember so it may, it may be worth mentioning too and I think I think honoring God should be enough of a motivation to do this but I think the other thing is like sin is when it comes to our sanctification and our sin, we, it's never static. We're never just like staying where we are. We're either moving forward or we're moving backwards. And if you move backwards into sin, sin always destroys. And so like you will continue to, and you know this, like your secret sin and your sin will hurt your community. It hurts your family. It hurts yourself. And if you continue in it, you're going to continue to destroy things that you love. And, uh, and so if you want to better your family, better your community, and better yourself. The only way to do that is by submitting to God as he continues to, to work in you. You can't just sit and stay where you are. Yeah. No, and good. it's like, and, and God is against us in those moments, you know? Yeah. Uh, he, he not, you know, in Christ, we don't need to fear judgment day at all. But again, coming back to, we keep going back to the parenting analogies, like sometimes with our kids or with any kids, you know, if you don't want me to have this tone, then don't act that way. You know, now, sometimes it's on us and it'd be more whatever, but it, there is a sense in which, you know, we ask, we invite God to be disposed toward us as a, um, I, I use the word in a, you know, anthropopathic sense, angry parent, you know, um, not angry in the way that we fly off the handle, but his wrath is, you know, he is always against sin. And so if we don't want God to come against us, then, then let's get rid of it. Let's stop it, you know? That's what fearing God looks like for us. So, man, I love what you guys are saying. Yeah. Amen. Good stuff. Good. good stuff. Um, well, I guess I would, because um, uh, I really want us to have uh, an opportunity to kind of look from a pastoral perspective yeah. on. Um, sure. So, what does this really mean um, for uh, for us in our day to day life? Um, but especially, um, you know, uh, and, and not just for new believers, but I think especially for for newer believers, but really for for all of us. Um, you know the the sanctification process because it is not a you know like salvation you receive salvation we're saved um, and we are mm-hmm. uh, you know positionally changed now we are we are uh, right before God and we have hope of eternity through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and boom there it is yeah. done sanctification is long sanctification is slow um, and if we're mm-hmm. honest uh, sanctification is frustrating um, for us um, on, on a number of different levels um, because we know who we want to be but we're not living that out or mm-hmm. we know who we're called to be but we can't do it or sometimes um, if we're being honest um, I think many of us have felt even frustration with God God if you have the power to make yeah. me right and good but you're not doing this you're allowing me to sit in this why would you do that God yeah. why would you allow yeah. me to still uh, sit in something to be somebody who you've called me not to be, and you've got the power to change this. So, so it, it can be kind of a frustrating thing, I, I think. And so, um, uh, to shift it more on a, a practical or, or maybe pastoral level, um, what would you say to somebody who is um, either still struggling with sin or is uh, frustrated with um, his or her own failures or by the process of sanctification? So, what, what would you say to them, or how would you encourage yeah. a person um, in, in that? in that uh, situation. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, and maybe I should save this till the very end to say this before I answer the question, man, I just think that y'all church is, is blessed um, and, and lucky to have you guys who have pastors who will talk about these things and will specifically acknowledge and make much of the idea that sanctification is long and slow and there's not a magic trick. There's not a silver bullet. 
I think that we waste a lot of time and and and, and spiritual energy looking for that thing. There's not of that thing. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be long. And I guess three things I'd say. One of them is kind of related to that. Yo, it's supposed to be hard. You know, <laughs> like there's a reason why we use the language of dying to self. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 that's take up your cross. I think this is related to Jesus's call in that regard to self-denial. So it's supposed to be hard, and and yet it can get easier. And that would be the first thing um, that put yourself at ease, but recognize that you have some level of power to 10 years from now, this would be easier thing, or even a year from now, you know, that you'll be more capable of resisting this temptation than you are now. And I think that comes back to the wisdom you guys have shared. If you are regular, are you regularly surrendering your body one part at a time? And are you regularly focusing your mind on, on one truth at a time? And if you are in as a habit, trusting in the Lord and doing good, thinking about the truth about who God is and acting accordingly, then it will get easier. But it is not supposed to be easy or quick. Second thing I'd say is you don't have to fail. Uh, ben knows this. I think much needs to be made of this from Romans 6 yeah. in particular, uh, about how because of our baptismal union with Christ, there's been a real death and a real resurrection. We really do have power available to us, and we really can count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I think some of why we sin is because of our habits. So that's that ongoing process of thinking, you know, true thoughts and doing good things. But part of why we sin is because we think we're doomed to. And that is a, that is a lie from the pit, man. Like, um, you know, I often will use the analogy of of if I'm a so let's say um, I'm a Ben, you're going to be my you're going to be the bad guy in this one. Let's say, I'm that, uh, you know, I know you are. <laughs> yeah, uh, that I'm um, God forbid uh, owned by Ben. That I'm I'm a, I'm a slave on Ben's farm, and that I have to. I spend. I was born there, and I do all my work. I mean, I got to mow his lawn. I got to you know massage his nasty feet. I got to you know whatever. Do all kinds of things. I'm not paid. I'm not compensated. It's just he's just always barking orders at me, and I have to do it, or else I'm going to be in, in deep deep trouble. And Jared lives next door, and you watch this Jared, and you see this, and you think, man, I got to save this Michael guy from this situation. And so you buy me from from him, and then you say to me, now I have purchased you, but you are as of right now officially free. Here's the paperwork. You can go where you want. You can do what you want. Now I know that maybe you say to me, now I know that you know you have a skill set that's taking care of a farm like this, and I want to offer you a job. You are welcome to work on my farm. I've got a separate apartment on our back. You can live out there. You can come and go as you please, and I will pay you. I will adequately compensate you to take care of the lawn and these various things. I'm like, yes, thank you for my freedom. It's a great deal. I take it. Well, then let's say I'm going about my business working for you, and Ben's over there you know, hollering out at me. Mow my lawn. Come over here and clean my deck. I know I'm free, but there's a part of me because I'm so used to obeying that voice. There's a part of me that's going to instinctively feel like, oh, I got to go do this thing. I, I got to go do what that master says. And the truth is, no, I don't. In point of fact, he has zero authority in my life. And this is the language in the middle of Romans 6. We talked about how we are no longer under sin as a master. But we are under grace. Mm-hmm. And we have the freedom in those moments of temptation to say to our temptation, you do not own me and I have no responsibility to you. Even if it's the enemy himself, you have no power in my life. I am free. And I think believing that is critical. Believing that we actually can stand up in these moments of temptation is a necessary part of standing up in these moments of temptation. So the second thing I'd say is you don't have to fail. And the third thing I would say, and this is a relatively newer thought for me, I think we need to learn to thank God for moments of temptation. Uh, it goes along with my answer to your question about uh, how is the how is this pandemic impacting my spiritual life? I'm trying to accept every moment as a gift from God in which my sole responsibility is to do his will as best I can. 
And that's the good moments and that's the bad moments. Now, some moments it's impossible to, to, I'm not saying that God causes everything that happens, but I'm saying the moment as a whole can be received as a gift because in this, Romans 8, 28, in this is something that God intends to use for my conformity to the image of his son. Mm -hmm. And so in these moments of temptation, I've really started to hit hard on this with my young guys who struggle with, uh, with pornography. Every time you feel yourself tempted, one of the things I want you to do is to say, God, thank you for this moment when I want to sin. Mm. Because, and here's why, it is only as we experience those moments that we can actually become more sanctified. Now, I think the goal is that we get to a point where we don't even want these things, these old things, in the same ways that we did. Where we're not, you know, timid and afraid to share the gospel, or where we're not, you know, tempted toward impatience or lust or whatever it may be. I think the goal is, is, is in eternity, we will be free from the temptation. In between now and then? Like we're going to experience the temptation, but those moments are a critical part of how God actually changes us within. As we, you know, you mentioned Romans 12, Jared, and I'll end with this. I think it's fascinating. You're right. There's a normal order to it. You think true thoughts and you do good things. But I think it's fascinating about Romans 12 is Paul leads with the body. He says, in light of all that God has done, mm -hmm. offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your rational worship. And then don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So in those moments when we have an opportunity to, con opportunity to concretely offer my body's living sacrifice and change my thinking so that I know this is the best thing. That's something to be thankful for. I know it's a strange thing, but yeah. I think if we can get there, we're reframing our thoughts with the gospel and we will become more like Jesus. So those are the three things I would say pastorally. No, that's what I, I say to myself. <laughs> and it's what I say to others. No, I, I appreciate that a lot. You know, um, one of the things that you mentioned that I want to kind of bring out a little bit is I think sometimes we have a, uh, a skewed understanding of uh, pain and suffering. Um, and then because of that, sometimes that tends to skew our response uh, towards it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, biblically, uh, you know, we read things like consider it pure joy whenever you face, you know, trials and temptations of many kinds. And it's like, yep. who would consider that joy? Uh, why, yeah. why would you Why would you be grateful or thankful for that? Or um, I remember one of the passages I was reading, and, and, you know, I'd read Philippians a hundred, thousand times, whatever. Um, and I remember uh, one time reading through this passage and just thought, huh, that's kind of funny. Um, and so I'll go to here, but in Philippians chapter 1, um, uh, Paul is, of course, writing Philippians, and he says, For it has been granted to you um, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have, which... Um, one is encouraging to me because it's like, you know, when we when we're struggling in our failures and in our um, temptations, whatever, ones we're not alone. Um, if people like Paul, who wrote, you know, much of the New Testament uh, continually is open and honest about his struggle, uh, you know, uh, Romans 7, there's, you know, some you know, variance in how we interpret, in, in how people sure. interpret that. Um, but, you know, he talks about that, or he, or he says, you know, not that I've considered to uh, have yeah. been made perfect, but I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God to call me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Um, or right here, Paul continually talks about his struggle, and yet, you know, we would look up to a person like Paul and go, oh, look at this, you know, model of a saint or whatever. And so one, I would say, is that we're not alone in this. Romans chapter 12, you know, the context of that, it you know, he goes straight into the whole body and how we're all, yeah. you know, here and to offer our uh, offer our gifts and our talents and to serve one another. This is uh, we're all in this together, and that's also in our struggles. Um, but in our struggles, it's not just that we are um, with one another, um, but we're also sharing in the sufferings of Christ when we do that. And so, um, and so, I think it's important to recognize this mind 
this uh, shift in our mindset of not just seeing suffering as something to uh, run away from, but as you said, to be even thankful and grateful for because of how it sharpens us, how it allows us to have opportunities to be made more into the image of Christ. Um, But then the other thing that I would say in response to that, uh, uh, or as a follow-up to that, is that I think sometimes our um, our wrong mindset of that can also um, uh, lead to wrong responses to it. Um, so in our trials and in our temptations and in our failures, um, our natural, our human, uh, maybe I shouldn't say human, but our natural, um, uh, our, 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 yeah. our fleshly, yeah, our fleshly response is to then in our weakness, in our failures, run away from God. Um, in fact, you know, you go all the way back to the very beginning, um, you know, the first time that sin entered the world, Adam and Eve, and um, when they did, all of a sudden, they recognized their nakedness, they recognized their shame, and what did they do? They went and hid from God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens? God comes, he calls them out, and what does God do? He doesn't, uh, he doesn't say, you know, uh, well, I mean, there, there's, the, there's the curse, the results of our sin, but what does God do? Um, God continues to give them promise of hope and future and that he's going to restore them, and God covers their shame. God covers their nakedness. God covers their brokenness and promises restoration towards the future. And I think one of the things that we often do because of our skewed understanding of pain and suffering and failure and all that is um, that produces this wrong response of, oh, well, now that I've done wrong, I need to run away from God. When in fact, God is the only one uh, who can fix this brokenness for us. And in fact, God, who's not surprised, um, God, who's not like, oh man, I just, I cannot believe you did that again. I I never saw that coming. How could you? Well, I guess I'm angry with you now. Um, That's not God's heart. That's not who God is. But in fact, God invites us in your struggle, in your brokenness, in your failures even, don't run away from me, run to me. Um, and I think that's backwards from our fleshly response, but I think that's important. So in this long, arduous, tedious, frustrating uh, process of sanctification, um, I know that it can be frustrating, but um, I would just encourage someone uh, by saying continue to lead into God and run towards him as the author and perfect of your salvation mm-hmm. and the one who promises that he will c- carry this work on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So that's, I think, what I would say. Amen. Yeah. Um, I, I think my response first, uh, in response to Michael's uh, metaphor, I think it's wild that you think even in uh, metaphor land that I could own real estate. Um, <laughs> and uh, the other thing is I, I, I kind of took this question from the perspective of a youth pastor. Um, mm-hmm. talking to students, because I actually get this, I get this question, I mean, I wouldn't say all the time, but quite often from students who are just like, they're continuously messing up, and they're like, man, I'm sorry, and like, I don't know what to do, and, and so my, fir- my first thing I always say is, don't give up. God hasn't given up mm-hmm. on you, so don't give up on yourself, and the other piece to that is, show yourself grace, because you're the only one in this equation not showing yourself, showing yourself grace. God's still showing mm-hmm. you grace. Mm-hmm. God's still showing you mercy, so show yourself a little grace, and then the other thing is, the question I immediately throw out after that is, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you spending time in fellowship with believers? Are you talking about such things? Because the answer usually is, if you continuously are, and you're not getting better and you're not progressing, is probably no. And so mm-hmm. just this, this idea of having a regular, regular and rich devotional life, I think is, is key to this. And then uh, the last couple things is, um, find a way to bring in community and accountability 
So find a way to get into a group of people who, who will call you on your, on your stuff and who will, you, you are welcoming into this conversation of, of trying to grow in, in, in Christ because the, it's, you'd be hard pressed to read the New Testament and see um, that, uh, a, a command or an uh, insinuation that, hey, you need to like get better at this by yourself. It's always done and written in community. These mm-hmm. letters were supposed to be read in community. The, uh, they were supposed to share life. And then we are sitting in our situations and we're like, well, I got I to I figure out how to get better when the door is closed. And it's like, why don't you just open the door and let people in? You know, and First mm-hmm. John talks about this, um, light in the midst of darkness and just exposing yourself to other people who, 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 and letting them see the dark corners of your soul so that you can get past this. So bringing in community. And then the last thing is this, like, God hasn't stopped wanting to sanctify you even though you keep failing. Like, he still wants it, and so if you keep trying, he will do it. Um, he, he is faithful to complete this in you and, and work in this in you. Um, and just uh, story-wise, just anecdotally for myself, I actually grew up and spent the first, and I won't mention the name of the church or the people, but spent the first kind of 10 years of my life in a denomination that believed in this concept that is called, um, and it's not a lot of people believe in it, but entire uh, sanctification or, or Christian perfection is another thing. And, and uh, there was this insane pressure um, by, you know, members of my family and stuff like that to, on, on me and on my siblings and on, on to, to be perfect that like, that actually you haven't arrived spiritually until you hit this entire sanctification. And, and I think many of us like didn't grow up in that, but we still have that pressure on ourselves. Like we have to get to a point and we like have this, we have this insane and, and, and overwhelming uh, pressure on ourselves, but also thought constantly in our head, like, I'm not arrived where I need to be. And I, and I have this goal or this, this picture in my mind, like, th- it, when I get here, then I'm a good Christian. Then I've finally arrived. Mm-hmm. Then I'm, and it's like, you're, you're, you're going to get there and you're going to find that there's more. And you're never going to arrive. And so, like, d- like, letting your soul be destroyed by this idea that you haven't arrived yet is never going to be beneficial. And so pause, give yourself grace and, and just keep walking on the road because the road really doesn't end because God doesn't end. Yeah. So just keep, keep on the journey, keep working, yeah. keep walking. I think sometimes our, uh, the way we talk about sanctification or, or even our growth or our relationship with Christ, we talk about it um, uh, as a destination. And we even talk about it in destination types of right. terms. Where are you at in your walk with Christ? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, things like that. And, and we understand, I think, what people mean by that, but I'm not sure if that type of vocabulary is the most helpful for us. Um, because in the end, uh, sanctification, it, you know, in the end, Jesus is going to come back and everything's going to be, you know, perfect and all that. Okay, great. But in the meantime, um, I think our salvation, or our, rather our sanctification, looks less like trying to be at a certain place and looks more like um, trying to uh, have a total reorientation of who we are. Um, and so it's not a, I'm getting to this spot, but it's rather, am I bringing every part of my life, um, every aspect of my life under the Lordship and authority um, into submission to Christ? Um, and uh, when we do that, um, I think that uh, I think that's a game changer. I think it shifts things for us, and I think it puts us on the path towards uh, being transformed to not become better, um, not become a better version of ourselves, but mm-hmm. as Scripture says, to be completely new and to be made into the image of Christ. Yeah. And I think Amen. that's the goal. So, anyway. All right. I think that sort of uh, wraps up our conversation. Mm-hmm. Michael, thank you so much for joining us Absolutely. and helping us uh, helping us to understand these things. Um, this week, look for. Uh, 
another great uh, sermon by Jared coming up, cooking up right now on uh, the theology of family, right? That's what, mm-hmm. that's what we got. Yep. Yeah. The theology of family. And I think that that's going to be so beneficial for, for, for y'all. So um, I'm Ben. I'm Jared. It's been another roundtable discussion, and we'll, uh, we'll see you on Sunday, church. Love you guys.